1: Daniel.
2: Hey, Amanda Clute. Let's get straight to the news. Yes. Well, is... first of all, it's Eater Upsell. My name is Daniel Janine, producer, editor. Yeah. You're Amanda Clute. Yeah. You're the editor in chief of Eater. That is correct. Uh, we're in the Vox Media Podcast Network studios at 85 Broad Street. I don't know if we usually say that, but it's okay. Now you know. Um, <clears throat> there's an 85 Broad Street in New Jersey also and one in Brooklyn. And I know that because I've ordered food to those locations before. <laughs> oh, so, no. so, So just in case, well, now I guess you would know we're the one in Manhattan. <laughs>
1: Okay. Anyway. So our announcement is we are transitioning the format of the show slightly to focus on food stories, which is the most popular episode that we create here.
2: Yeah. Once a month we run through the stories and, uh, you know, five to ten minutes we separate them with a little ding. Uh, But we're just going to do that every week.
1: Yeah. The food stories of the month. And now it's going to be the food stories of the week. Yeah.
2: Uh, We're going to build out some more of them and have some extra interviews and have some more people involved. Sure. But, uh... You'll, you'll be hearing dings now every week. All the time. Lots of... What do you think about the ding sound effect, out of curiosity?
1: What? It's my fave.
2: It's your fave? Yeah. Okay. Of course. So we shouldn't... Yeah, I was thinking about maybe it subbing it out that. for like a clink, clink, clink. Too clicked.
1: much change is... All right. I can't sorry. handle it. Okay.
2: Okay. All right. So uh, so that's what you can expect from us. If you are excited about that or...
1: Have any other feedback. have
2: any other feedback, email at us, up, upsell, at eater, upsell at eater.com. Actually, it's going to be particularly important now because we're going to need more stories. So email us the stories that you yeah, want us to discuss. Yeah, all the
1: material we could get.
2: Yeah, please. Yeah. Anything need it. weird. If you want to say anything weird to me, I will 100% read it and respond to anything super weird. True. <laughs> Very true. Um and if you like the show, please remember to subscribe to it, send it off to friends, foodies and non-foodies alike, and uh give us some stars on the podcast platform of your choosing.
1: Great. Wherever Let's do you it. choose
2: to dine on podcasts.
1: Okay. Let's get into it.
2: I think we should dive back into the dark pool of tipping that we always get in trouble for. Oh, okay. Did you see the CNBC video, the like wannabe Facebook video, uh, where the guy was kind of it, like the cheesy kind of happy guy was doing the PowerPoint about how he's got this great trick that can save you like I
1: didn't watch $3, it. Three thousand dollars a year. But I heard about this because yeah. of the backlash. Yeah,
2: this super like sham wow salesman style guy has this brilliant idea to to help you save money. And the idea was that, you know, typically you're meant to you're meant to tip 15 to 20%, but that is after tax. And this guy and his brother, I don't know why he said he's like this me and my brother have this have this trick that we've been doing to save up to like two or three thousand dollars a year. And that is, well, if you're in New York, the sales tax is eight point seven five percent or eight point eight seven percent or something like that. Yeah. So all you do, you actually tip pre-tax, you double the tax and that gets you to about 18% pre-tax. And he goes through this bill, it's like $100, he takes a tip that would have been 20 or something or 21 and it brings it to 1675. A lot of people were like, you know, this this guy is pure evil. He's destroying the world. Uh people are going hungry because of because of bro idiot bros like this. My biggest problem with it is it's just like This isn't smart. It's just like tip less. Well, that's all he's saying. Well, I think I would also say that
1: this is the traditional way people have been tipping for generations. (laughs) Yeah. um, Is doubling the tax or tipping on pre tax numbers. Mm -hmm. So it's not a new concept. It's just that many people, especially people on the internet, many people of younger generations, just add 20% to whatever the final is. That's what I do. Yeah. Like, but if you were to ask my parents or maybe even like ask your mom, She'd be like, yeah, of course you don't tip on top of the tax. That's the tax. You tip on the subtotal. So I don't think... My mom is a volatile
2: tipper. I'll tell you that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think if you were to ask your average... 50 plus year old mm-hmm. how do you tip at a restaurant they would say you take the subtotal and you add 20% or you double the tip if you're in a place like New York where the ta- double the tax yeah. if the tax is 8%. It's just among my peers that's not what we do. We tend right. to just like what is it just add 20%. You know like and I think more careful tippo- tippers will also like take the wine out or like think of other ways of like mm. how am I you know what's the fair thing to do? I
2: just think these things annoy me because I think just add the tax and then figure out if you want to be a cheapskate and then just be a cheapskate, then tip 15%. But don't come up with a reason for why you're actually giving 20% when you're not.
1: I I just think that it's not a novel thing, but it's not something I would advertise. (laughs) Like You don't want to be the person who's like, I tip less, especially if you're young. Oh my God. If you're like this... Old curmudgeon, and that's your brand. Like, be like, of course, this guy's I just like, double the Dating apps
2: aren't working for me. I don't care anymore. I'm just yeah. gonna.
1: <laughs> that's why I feel like as a younger person, you always have to watch out for. Yeah. Older people, if you're in a big party, because you never know what they're gonna do. They might do something crazy.
2: Let's say you're at with a, an older person, big party. You know they're taking the bill. It's a formal function or something.
1: I've been known to slip. The waiter like an extra twenty. Okay,
2: but but what if you don't? They might be bonkers tippers. Like, would you ever go up to the server and be like, "Hey, just want to clear, like, how much?" Oh, enough. I've definitely done that before. Same. Yeah. yeah.
1: Been like, "Hey, just want to check because you know, yeah. just want to. I just want to like, was well, the tip okay?
2: <laughs> well, I mean, I think you can be a little more clear, than that. you can just yeah. be like, "I, be be like, I don't
1: know this like or this person isn't a. Ator- I don't
2: know that dude. You were fantastic. Like just want to make sure you got. I know
1: what my aunt is like. Yeah, and just want to give you this little extra my... 20.
2: This video could have been great if it was a parody and he was like wearing old like a yeah, Indiana yeah. Jones suit or something. He was like, or you literally... we dug up this tipping technology <laughs> from the 1960s. let just like
1: survey grandpas. Yeah. Like, hey grandpas, how do you tip? Yeah. And then like ask some 22 year old. We should just do that. Let's do that. Let's do that.
2: I will say it feels like generation generationally and maybe I'm wrong. Uh, it feels like Tipping was always 15% and between, I don't know, 1970 and 2010, it was 15%. And then since 2010, it's been just like moving up. And now it's, and then it was always 18 and then it was 20. And it feels like now to me that it's 22. Really? It feels like I've heard people say, oh, I don't tip anything less than 22%.
1: That's harder math. How do they do that? I think
2: it's just like you do 20 and then, like, up it a little. Oh, lot. and
1: then add add a little bit?
2: Yeah. What do you think?
1: Now I got to catch up. So, Daniel, last week I was in Los Angeles and Farley Elliott from our LA team took us to dinner at a place called The Row, which which kind of blew my mind. Really? Cra- I know we always talk about crazy LA developments, but here's another one. Uh, so we, we wanted to bring on Farley to kind of explain to the audience what The Row is. So Farley, welcome. Hey, guys, thanks for having me.
3: Ah, Of course. I'll dive right in. The row is... Uh, yet another in a long line of mega developments that are taking over large swaths of Los Angeles and this one is particular in that it used to be the original produce market for downtown era kind of 1900s and they've taken nine multiple story buildings you know anywhere from four to six stories and tried to revamp the entire thing it's still very much a work in progress but they've put in a lot of anchor restaurant tenants including a combination tartine Chris Bianco from Phoenix thing called the Manufactory that spans by itself 45000 square feet. 45,000
1: <laughs> square feet. And I want to just lay out some context here. Tartine, huge name in bread baking, um, big draw in San Francisco. They're kind of like these mini celebrities in the baking and food world. And they have outposts now, I think, in Korea and Los Angeles. Yeah. And Chris Bianco yeah. is this super, super famous pizza guy from Arizona where people go to Phoenix just to try his pizza. He has a bunch of places there, but then famously quit because the... I don't know, the dust was getting in his lungs. Is that right, Farley?
3: Yeah, he, he was becoming more and more asthmatic and just sort of working his way to the bone because he would make every pizza by hand. Now he's got multiple locations. His brother kind of oversees a lot of them. And he's coming back and forth from Los Angeles pretty frequently. Now, it should be noted he is not yet doing straight-up Chris Bianco pizza no. at the manufacturing at The Rowe. It's the sort of flatbread combination on tartine bread. So there's a lot of Avenger-style everyone coming together to make a new thing happen.
1: Talk about what they're doing in this 45,000-square-foot space, which, by the way, is just one small portion of the Giant Row
3: development. So they are currently plotting a takeover for not just the row, but basically all of Los Angeles. The entire subterranean bottom floor is prep space and where they hold their milled flour. They also do coffee roasting down there. The main front portion of the building, I mean, it is literally spanning one entire building that is maybe 150 yards long, or if not longer. The front portion is open baking. You can see them making all their loaves, not only for the restaurant, but for a few upcoming tartines throughout Los Angeles in Silver Lake and Hollywood in Santa Monica. Monica. And then they've got a couple of different restaurants. One is a sort of marketplace restaurant that sits within this great open expanse where you could buy $78 ceramic mugs and pastries. There's a takeout window for coffee and early morning food. And then on the other side, there's an outdoor evening bar where you can sit and they put in these huge trees that are already fully grown, like they just made it to sort of woodsy wonderland in this open space. And then inside, Chris Bianco has a restaurant that is just dinner time only. So there's a lot of ways to dine across three different levels. And upstairs is all office space. And it's gigantic. Yeah, man.
1: It's, it's huge. I feel like if I were a baker, I would see that as kind of like on Lord of the Rings when they're making all the orcs. And you just like see this (laughs) giant space. It's like, oh, my God, this bread is just going to flood the entire market and destroy us all because it's like super high quality what they do.
3: Exactly. And that is certainly a conversation that has been happening on the baking scene here in Los Angeles, especially when you get into these one-off locals. We had Clark Street Bread a couple of years ago. That was kind of the big first one that landed on like the best new menu. And everyone's like, oh, it's this crazy kid who's like making bread out of his apartment. And now Bub and Grandma's is out here and they're on every menu. But these are all essentially local stories. But to have tartine that's so well-funded, that Chris Bianco that's so well-known, come to L.A. and just immediately take 300 jobs out of the restaurant economy, including head bakers at other places. It's been a little bit of a growing and learning curve, I think, for everybody here to deal with what tartine can be.
2: Is anyone particularly resentful or vocal about uh, expressing their resentment of this empire?
3: So, yeah, obviously there's been a little bit of a, of a public or, or semi-public backlash in the baking space because of, of how influential Tartine is immediately on the scene. But more importantly, I think the row as an overall concept is getting some pushback just because it seems like such a massive amount of space that isn't being fully utilized. I mean, we're a city and a state that's facing housing shortages and rising rents yeah. for the restaurant space and something like this is just so dominating that it can feel money is just going to take over and win and and the little guy is not going to stand a chance in a few years.
1: And the proximity to Skid Row, which is this notorious...
3: Well, I think what happens, and everyone in Los Angeles is very aware of Skid Row. I mean, it's the largest homeless encampment in America. It's tens of thousands of, of people going without shelter every night. It's a really dire situation. I think what you're seeing is everyone's awareness that money has descended upon downtown in a way that is squeezing Skid Row. And that leads to increased police presence and different things like that that can endanger a lot of folks that truly don't have any other options that are living on the street so so far it's it's been a a lot of rubbing up against each other but nothing has exploded in in any given way
1: you'd think they could just turn one of those giant warehouses (laughs) into affordable housing
3: (laughs) yeah uh as far as i can tell most developers don't believe there's a lot of money to be made in affordable housing Mm, but it certainly would be nice Cool. Well,
1: Farley, thank you so much for taking the time to call in to explain the row to us.
3: Thanks, guys. And I want to stress enough, please nobody else move to Los Angeles. We're doing fine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. We won't.
2: <laughs> Man, include if there's one thing I love, it's a funny lawsuit and you said that you've got I got one. You got, I got, one, got one for, for me. you. All it's right. not
1: like fu- I mean, it's fu- I think you'll laugh. Uh, so Christina Tosi and her Milk Bar company group is suing A place in Chicago called JoJo's Milk Bar. (laughs) Uh, At first, you hear that and you might think, "Well, milk bars kind of generic. Like Mm -hmm. it, there were milk bars across Poland. Like it's a, it's a thing. Really? Yeah. There was a milk bar in New York before her milk bar opened. Wow. Uh, But if you click,
2: did they have different kinds of milk?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Versus like what she does, which is ice cream. Um, and cookies and cakes and stuff.
2: Like you could go and be like, ah, two ounces of goat milk, bartender. Uh,
1: (laughs) I don't know if that's exactly how that, I'll have to read up, I'm sure we have like some explainer on what like Polish milk bars are. Uh, I think what's funny about this place, Jojo's Milk Bar, is it's called Jojo's Milk Bar, but on their branding, Jojo's is very, very small, so if you were to look at it, all you can really read is milk bar. So they're saying, no, we're JoJo's Milk Bar, but they kind of obscure that element. But then if you look at what they're selling, which is milkshakes, it looks like Black Tap. Black Tap. It's just covered in oh junk. Oh my God. So it's like, this, it's like they looked at Milk Bar and Black Tap and decided to rip them both off at the same time. Yeah. So even if she doesn't have a lawsuit, like together they should have a lawsuit? Either way, these people are doing something completely unoriginal and kind of scammy.
2: <laughs> this is freaking awesome. <laughs> My God, I love this. There's nothing. It's like
1: so blatant.
2: Well, I talked about this. I think people, you know, Black Tap is obviously no longer really in our purview, but Black Tap was this thing probably four years ago mm-hmm. that was one of the original Instagram sensations. Yeah, and it's just these giant seventeen or fifteen dollar milkshakes, and they cover the rim and in, in shit, and then there's just like. Cookies and yeah, it's giant like it's stuff covered
1: in like junk candy, but
2: it's not even cool. They just cover this glass rim in icing and then it roll doesn't it look and good stuff.
1: to eat. People would wait in line hours. hours
2: and then consume like a third
1: of it, mm-hmm. yeah, because it's disgusting.
2: Uh, and this is really just taking the best of that, trying to make it a little cuter and calling it milk bar. You know what? <sighs> this is so annoying to me, but I think this gets to something that I always wonder about is, or not wonder about, but I almost feel bad. I feel so bad for people that open like the 40th poke place in a neighborhood. (laughs) No, it's like, Oh, you missed it. Well, it's not even that, but, but then if you're doing it, it's just a business at that point. And I really think there's so many better ways to make money. Right. Unless you're, I mean, there is, we've heard stories of when buildings have, um, uh, an unoccupied space in their on their lobby level, like a street facing space, and they have six months or something that they need to fill it with, they're not going to go to the trouble of developing a restaurant. They'll just be like, oh, what's working around here? Sure. Put another poke. But like, it's just so it must be so miserable operating one of these places. Like, how do you get people amped up to sling something <laughs> that is a dead knockoff of right. something else?
1: It's like, I just went to this place called Black Tap. <laughs> I'm going to do that thing. But in Chicago. <laughs> and I'm going to call it Milk Bar, which at this point, you know, you know that there is already a place called Milk Bar.
2: How could you not? I mean, if you I feel like competitive you, research. Yeah. You could not be doing competitive research and you'd be walking home from not doing it and get hit in the face with a Milk Bar flyer. Yeah.
1: You'd be like, oh, crap.
2: Oh, shit. <laughs> what is going? Anyway, so I feel for this person. Uh, you know what? This is really. You feel just, for this person? This is re- I feel for them. You know, I I wish that they would have more integrity, and <laughs> I think that they must go to bed.
1: So you pity this person. Either
2: they're just going to bed, being like, "Grr, gonna make so much money," or, "Man, I wish I came up with the black tap milkshake." And either maybe way, maybe they
1: would say it's an homage
2: to the name of Milk Bar
1: <laughs> and and the product of Black Tap.
2: I will say, I think that theirs are cuter than Black Taps. Sure. At least their sprinkle rim exterior has a little more uh, artistry than the black tap ones. But the black tap are done in giant mugs, and these are...
1: These are in Sunday cups.
2: These are in Sunday cups. I think I could have an easier time consuming one of these. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) this is a hilarious lawsuit. So what do you think is going to happen?
1: I think she'll win. I don't know. I'm no lawyer, but... She has the trademark for Milk Bar. Also, a lot of. Uh, so they would have to prove that JoJo's Milk Bar is so much different than Milk Bar, but because they're <laughs> we obscuring should reemphasize the that JoJo's.
2: JoJo's is so small. It's I, very The reason small. I didn't even get it when you showed me this is because I looked at it, I couldn't even see that JoJo's was on there.
1: hmm <laughs> Yeah, and they have included a Yelp review. Where someone says they were mistaken, like they went in thinking it was Milk Bar, and were so excited that Christina Tosi's Milk Bar had opened in Chicago. <laughs> so that kind of lays the case right there. Look what you've done, Jojos! <laughs> you tricked me. <laughs> Daniel, have you read about Soylent launching, quote unquote, food?
2: I I have I have heard about it. It's uh, it's very silly, but I feel like this is one of those ones. <laughs> Yeah, you go ahead. Why don't okay. you tell me about...
1: Well, Soylent, as you know, mm-hmm. is this meal replacement drink. As I know. I think of it as like 2019 or 18's Slim Fast. Yeah. It's like, it's a drink that you I use- disagree, I know, but let's keep going. Yeah. <laughs> well, and all the bros that drink Soylent would disagree as well.
2: Not just bros, but keep going.
1: Yeah, they also... Well, I think they have the numbers on it that it's mostly men, and they assume that the women who buy it are maybe buying it for the men that they live <laughs> with. <laughs> yeah anyway it's a meal replacement drink some people have it instead of eating real food so that they can work more or just because they don't want to deal with having to make food
2: right right originally invented not as a weight loss or anything but just to give you all the stuff you need so you don't have to consider food
1: yes but now they're launching food (laughs) and it's like a little snack bar kind of thing in the shape of a square yeah uh don't really care, but I think it's very <laughs> funny because of the quotes uh, in the New York Times story about it. Great. Can I read you some oh, of the quotes? Please. I haven't
2: actually read these yet, so I am. Oh my God. I'm okay. thrilled.
1: Okay. Quote Closing my laptop. Uh, when we first started coming up with this idea of portioned, chewable nutrition, we were like, oh, it should be a cube.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Now, we're a complete nutrition platform that you can enjoy any time of the day in multiple formats. Mm -hmm. Like, what kind of language is that? So, it's not that it's food, it's that It's a nutrition platform, a complete nutrition platform. complete
2: nutrition platform.
1: And you can enjoy this platform in multiple formats at any time of the day. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So it's food. Yeah.
1: It's just so funny that people (laughs) speak like that, don't you think?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think they're conscious of what you're picking up on, which is it's meant to replace food and now they're rolling out food. Yeah, yeah. And so they want to make it seem like it's all part of their hyper practical response to typical human dining.
1: It's just so alien to <laughs> But I think call they're hamming up the alien. A nutrition platform. Well what is it, you know? <laughs>
2: <laughs> do you think I've ever had soyline? Here's a question. Yes. You do?
1: You've never had soy Never had soy What?
2: Yeah, I don't believe in soy protein. I'm against it.
1: Oh, uh, okay.
2: This is crazy. I mean, this, this just screams to me of VC money. What happens is these companies get big. They get huge amounts of VC dollars of investment. And then they bring in the the beverage consultants and the, the mm-hmm. F&B consultants. And they're like, oh, there's space in the market for bars. Let's do – the cubes thing is the most ridiculous. Let me stop at the cubes thing. Cube yeah. is the least practical. Like a, sil- wanna, a cylinder cube. is probably like meat stick.
1: Meat stick would be better. Meat stick, yeah. Soylent stick.
2: Yeah, because – a cube is not the right size of a thing to go in your mouth.
1: Did you know that they launched a bar in 2016, mm-hmm. but it was quickly pulled from circulation after customers reported vomiting and diarrhea?
2: <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I, did. <laughs> I didn't know that. It's funny because... You know who
1: also has bars? SlimFast.
2: They sure do. Yeah. But there's nothing wrong with that.
1: I'm just saying they're like the same thing. No.
2: I think... Uh, Soyland occupies a strange space for me because the people, the health, uh, the health junkies that I have been in, uh, followed before. I'm not in again. You know, I'm not Mm -hmm, in that mm -hmm, world mm -hmm. as much right now. We're very adamantly against soy, vehemently against soy. So it's soyland is not accepted amongst all the all the sure, sure, sure. podcast you yeah. new agey people that mm-hmm. you probably think i'm associated or i'm listening to on a daily basis
1: right yeah well and this is where i should ask like why mm-hmm. but about soy yeah yeah but i
3: <laughs>
1: but you, don't care. You don't care <laughs> <laughs> yeah because then it will be a whole another 10 minutes we could add it at the end for people who really want to hear about it. Like After this episode is over, if you want to hear about why Daniel doesn't believe in soy, stay tuned and he's going to tell us. Let's do that.
2: Okay. I'm going to have to do some research. I've forgotten.
1: <laughs> you don't even know. I don't even remember,
2: but it's right. bad. I'll we'll, tell you that we'll, much. We'll cut it out. Hey, Amanda. Next up. Hey, Daniel.
1: Next up, Lucky Lees. This probably, is a story that blew up in New York, so we invited our New York team, Serena and Stephanie. Tell us, what Stephanie. You covered this. What is what is the story? Give us the lay of the land.
4: Okay, so basically, um, a an alleged nutritionist. <laughs> <laughs> <It starts>. Yes. <laughs> is that fair? Um, like,
2: she's not a certified nutritionist, or you,
4: uh, I haven't personally confirmed her that, credentials. So I don't. So know. it is alleged at this point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a a purported. She yeah. claims yeah. to be a nutritionist. Yeah. Um, she also, (laughs) I'm saying this because it's relevant to the story. She's white. Um, and she opened, um, a, what she called a quote, clean Chinese restaurant. Mm -hmm. And, um, she was all excited because she was opening this place that was, gluten, wheat, refined sugar, GMO, and additive-free in all the food. And so that's how she was defining clean. Um, Obviously, maybe, I guess not so obviously, because it wasn't obvious to her, uh, a lot of people took issue with that characterization. Um, Historically, Chinese restaurants have been um, called dirty. And so it caused a huge backlash. And it blew up on Twitter. And... Took on a life of its own, really. Yeah, she was saying that whenever she eats Chinese food, her hands swell up
1: because of all the sodium, and she gets headaches from the MSG or something like that. It's she feels like, icky. She feels icky. Yeah. The yeah. the
4: there was a post that has that was deleted after I questioned her about it. Um, and that said, we heard you're obsessed with lo mein but rarely eat it. You said it makes you feel bloated and icky the next day. Well, wait until you slurp up our high low mein, not too oily or salty. And she just really, I haven't spoken to her since this whole thing blew up, but at that time, she really didn't understand why I was asking her about that language and why that could potentially be problematic. Mm.
1: So she was just like, what?
4: It's fine. Yeah, she was just like, I just, I love taking cuisines that people might not be able to eat because of dietary restrictions and, quote, healthifying them. I like to healthify cuisines and... She was like, "It has. It's about celebrating the cuisine. It has nothing to do with putting it down." And I was like, "But you're trying to celebrate it by putting it down in the right. same breath by implying that it is inherently unhealthy and icky." Right.
2: And Steph, what was your, what was the backlash like? What were people saying online?
4: It was a, a lot of a lot of on Twitter, and then it really exploded from there. And uh, we people were saying things like. Um, you know, here's another white woman or white person trying to uh, exploit our culture without really learning anything about it, and playing into all the historic racist tropes about Chinese people and Chinese food, and um, trying to profit off of our culture. <laughs> it it was really big on Twitter, um, and then a lot of traditional news outlets starting started mm-hmm. picking it up. It was in the New York Times. It was on Fox News of all places. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, we we published an op ed about how she could have gotten it right. And Fox News spoke to our uh, op ed writer, which was which was nice.
1: Oh, nice. I saw The New York Post also had a backlash to the backlash mm-hmm. where Steve Kuzo was mm. defending her and saying that he also, you know, gets bloated when he eats Chinese food and what's wrong with her? Yeah, let's Nobody remember that
4: Rupert Mur- Murdoch owns the New York Post. Right, <laughs> well, that's what surprised me about the Fox News pickup. <laughs> yeah, um, I think
0: Steve Kuozo called
4: us
1: ethno-food warriors. Ethno-food warriors, yes, he yeah. did. <laughs> yes, did. Proud, yes. let's get tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> she also,
4: I think...
2: Has this boiled over? Are we clear of this controversy?
4: Until the next one.
2: I think the restaurants. I mean, I live very close to the restaurant. It seems to be doing pretty well.
4: It had its defenders. I should also add that yeah. to the conversation. There were a ton of people who were like... I don't get it. She's just trying to, you know, here's what our here's what our op-ed said. It basically went through the why this was problematic and then said there's nothing wrong with someone wanting to open a restaurant that is any cuisine for people with dietary restrictions. But it was the way she marketed what she was doing mm-hmm. that was where it became problematic and so a lot of people decided or just focus on that element of it and defending the restaurant by saying, you know, this is what I want. I can't glue And I'd love to have lo mein. And, but that really missed the point, in my opinion.
1: Serena, ethno warrior, any, anything to I, add? I know.
0: Oh, my God. Well, actually, my reaction when seeing all this was I'm so bored. I'm so <laughs> bored of this because... I've written like two op-eds related to the exact same issues about saying that repeating the exact same things where the point is, I, no one has any problem with people cooking cuisines of a different culture. That's not the issue. And so all the reaction and backlash to the backlash or whatever assumes that people are upset because of, Oh, I'm I'm a Chinese and you're saying I can't cook Mexican food cuz I'm Chinese or like I'm white and you're saying I can't cook XYZ or I'm Mexican and you're saying I can't cook Japanese food. That's not what people are saying. It's it's about having a little bit of sensitivity. Um and the fact is that this has been like like it's just not that hard. You know, I just feel like it's not these things are so simple and I, just screaming into a black hole over here. So I, I was like, uh, I just felt relieved that I didn't have to write anything else and just kind of tiresome. Um, I understand why people got upset over her marketing, obviously. Um, at the same time, I am just so exhausted. I can't believe people still aren't getting it right because it's not that hard. You can still open your restaurant, open your Chinese restaurant, say that it's a Chinese restaurant for people with dietary restrictions. There are plenty of restaurants out there that are marketing themselves that, for people with dietary restrictions. And frankly, it's a service. You know, like a lot of people do want. People ask us all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm vegan. I'm gluten free. I want to go to a restaurant where that is, it's going to be easy for me to eat something. And it is nice when the restaurant announces. Itself as such. Um, so that's not a problem. She could have done that. And it would require so little research from her to have marketed it a little bit more appropriately. It just perpetuated a lot of negative stereotypes, which I really thought, you know, I don't know, you're in the food industry, you're opening a restaurant, you're obviously investing tons of money and time doing research, and it's it's not easy to open a restaurant. You know what I mean? Like, you have to put a lot of fucking work into it. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't take that much more work to Google Chinese-American restaurant and see and see I how to make it right. I would
4: just want to, yeah. for one clarifying point, because I did have a conversation with her, and she does understand the difference between Chinese... Good and evil? ...regional Chinese restaurants and Chinese-American restaurants. That being said, she did not know the history behind how Chinese-American restaurants came to be, which is a part of the whole problem here. Um, so I don't want it to necessarily... I just don't want to portray her as not understanding the difference, because she did, but she didn't understand how the difference came to be.
0: Well, did she market at her restaurant as Chinese or Chinese American? Chinese American. Okay.
2: Whoever did her publicity and PR Her needs- sister.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> well, Aww. I hope her
2: sister is not starting, is like not using this as a launch point to uh, to go into the world of food marketing and food PR, because well, this she is-
1: learned, she learned a lot.
2: This is a huge learning experience, to mm. be honest. I would, yeah, I would hire, if I was gonna open something like that I would yeah she, her sister probably has been through the fire <laughs> she's not going to make she that sense I don't mistake. think she'd be the
4: first person I would choose but her sister's only other client used, like, was Andrew right Ram-
2: now,
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah Andrew Zim and Gordon Ramsay are her clients
2: <laughs> Lucky Lee's uh, now open uh, yeah keep us updated university on how between it's between 12th and 13th or 11th yeah you live right
4: by there Dan yeah. right
0: have you eaten there
2: I have eaten there yeah
0: well, how was it
2: you know it, it's fine. It's like imagine taking what we think of as a, you know a, American Chinese food and putting it on like cauliflower rice.
0: Mm. That actually sounds totally up your alley. Yeah, because like he's a there sp- every day.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and like a baseball cap. <laughs> a
2: Next up, Amanda from your newsletter. Uh, how do they? How do people subscribe to the newsletter? Again, it's my favorite newsletter. Just search um, Amanda Clute newsletter. Yeah, you'll, you'll get there. Yeah, you'll find it. Uh, every week she runs down her favorite stories and then. Plugs the podcast somehow, yeah, uh, and writes you know some kind of little editorial flourish up the top.
1: Yep, usually something. But unless this I'm one too lazy. was
2: tragic. You it basically was very ex- sad. Explain this to me. It seemed I read through it. It was wonderful. It Seemed like what you were saying you was didn't send
1: me a text, like worried about me though.
2: I'm not. You worried. weren't
1: like, are you okay? I think some people were like, are you okay?
2: No, I think you were. I think you were. More people were, said. Well, let's say what okay, you did sorry, first. Sorry, sorry. What you did.
1: Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Is you
2: said. Basically that the ten or fifteen or twenty minutes a day you spend waiting in line
1: for my dig in.
2: For dig in or sweet green or whatever. Yeah. Is the best is the best part of your it's day. It's
1: not the best part of my day. It's your brief
2: moment of respite. Yeah. It's distance yourself from the chaos of new media.
1: It's a moment of zen. Mm. The rest of my day is great. It's packed with Kids and work. And I love my work. Am
2: I a kid yeah. or work?
1: Your work. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> really? And I love- I'm a lot of no, work? I love, I love my work. I love my kids. But I don't, I like, when I'm on the train, I like read the newspaper. I feel like every moment is filled with something. But when I wait in line, I just look at Instagram or just like stare up on the space. and Because there's nothing I could or should be doing. It's like- Ten minutes, you know.
2: You've never had to deal with a work with some work drama from your phone? <laughs> no.
1: I'm not like answering people on Slack when I'm waiting for my poke bowl.
2: So you really show up there and you're like, this is nice.
1: Yeah, it's like, oh, Instagram.
2: So the world Like is- I see
1: a line of digging and I'm not like, oh God. Because that's the way when I first started working in popular neighborhoods, it was very depressing. Yeah. Because we want to get lunch you have to wait in a long line. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or you have to order, but then like I know, you're but not leaving just, the office.
2: You could just put 10 minutes on your calendar that says like in this 10 minutes I'm going to do fuck all. Right,
1: it's not it's more about turning a bad situation, which is the line that yeah, is an inevitability into a nice situation, which is, right. oh, this is my chance to just like So I think
2: it would have been I think
1: less people would have
2: been worried about you uh-huh. if you were like waiting in the line isn't that bad, not God, I live for yeah, my but waiting line in, waiting.
1: Waiting in line isn't that bad is not I mean, you're a, a headline whiz. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who cares? Waiting in line
2: isn't that right. So you were well, no, so- that's
1: part of my point is that you see all these lines, you feel very bad for these people. You're like, ugh, look at all these office drones just waiting in line. Like yeah. my husband is also like such an adamant lunch taker. Like he thinks it's so pathetic when people don't take forty-five minutes out of their day to just like have a nice lunch. And I'm the opposite, like I just so like I need what is, what efficiently. What?
2: What does he do for lunch?
1: He'll like go to some place and have a like seat. Or like if he's yeah, just like sit down. That's nice. Even if he's going to like a Chipotle, he'll just like sit.
2: So how often do you guys talk about this? Because you your your theories on it are clearly. Uh,
1: I mean, we we just have different philosophies on it, but <laughs> I just don't think it's sad to wait in these like terrible lines. Yeah. Get your little and you bucket got some responses slop. And then, like, eat it at your desk. <laughs>
2: you don't feel like a mindless robot, or that's or no, that's like that's, I just come just, to, that's okay. Just
1: that's how I, I embrace it. Ugh. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I also don't mind. Honesty
1: is, you know, is, just what is, I'm about.
2: Right. Well, same.
1: I could I say like, oh, well, I'm. I run an important food publication, and I go out to lunch, and I I need to try the newest restaurant. I go to King and have a like hour <laughs> and a half lunch and a glass of white wine, and like that's not fucking happening.
2: You've done that all. Lots of times, minus the glass of white wine.
1: Yeah, yeah, I do have lunches. I do have lunches out. <laughs> do you ever have a glass of wine for lunch at lunch? Rarely.
2: Yeah, I can't imagine you doing it.
1: Yeah, it's just like.
2: What were the reactions people got? People were worried about you. People were like, "Is your is uh, the rest of your life I mean, miserable?" Some
1: people were like jokingly worried, like, "Are you okay?" <laughs> Are
2: you okay, Amanda? Yeah, mostly. Read your newsletter.
1: <laughs> Anything <laughs> you want to talk about? Yeah, <laughs> No, I mean, I didn't imagine that tone, but yeah, that's what the emails said, and then um. Some people who were like, I, that is totally my life. And then some <laughs> PR people who will use any in they could possibly get. Heard you like dig in? You no, know, to be like, oh, ha, 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 like, that's so me. Anyway, can I tell you about my clients blah, blah, blah? <laughs> 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 Which is just like always a thing. It's like, oh, my God, you learn any personal thing about me and you really? use it. Yeah, yeah.
2: Okay, you be a PR person for a second. I'm going to tell you something completely random, and you use it to spin it into a pitch.
1: Okay, yeah, sure. Okay. Uh,
2: I had to take the day off a few weeks ago. I had worms. Like, I didn't know humans could get worms, but I had worms. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hi Daniel, heard about your worms? That's so crazy. <laughs> I had to deal with that myself, and it is such a pain in the ass. Anyway, have you heard about? <laughs> okay, so
2: it's just anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't it's just even, there's they no there's no it's so just like it's, yeah. it's like
1: well why have you uh, have you heard about these nutrition platforms that <laughs> and we you're make in like, soil? You don't have me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so it's not even like funny you should mention worms because like worms remind me no, kind no, of a no, pesticides no and the like-
1: segue. This really happens? Oh, my God. Yeah. Like if you like when you get engaged. Yeah. It's like so many like, oh, my God, congratulations. I saw on Instagram that you're engaged. That's amazing. Uh, so my client right now has this new menu. <laughs> you're like, OK, thanks. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And like the ones I get oh, with the go. kid stuff, yeah. it's just like, I'm sure you're like partly torn about being back at work anyway. Okay. It's like, you don't know anything about me. Wow.
2: <laughs> like, yeah. Don't
1: assume my emotional state is, I don't know. The weird. second
2: child is often complicated because uh, the first <laughs> child starts to resent you and feels like they're no longer the center of your world.
1: Anyway. And also our
2: restaurant just went gluten free. We thought you should maybe, you maybe should pass really, it on. You should come um, check it out. Yeah. Holy shit. Bring that's the real. kiddos. Wow, maybe I'll I'll get there one day. Yeah, yeah. With the firm, anyways, just yeah. like the harsh transitions. You're
1: gonna you're gonna see it soon, and then you'll you'll recognize. Be like, oh right.
2: Clue told me about this once.
1: Yeah.
2: I'm gonna go wait in line at a sweet green Yeah, they'll be like, I saw your stand up
1: on Saturday. It was amazing. Uh-huh.
2: Anyway. <laughs> uh-huh. Mac and cheese. I would support that mac and cheese.
1: Thank you. Like, I, I, I <laughs> love I'll, that I'll mac and it. cheese.
2: <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening to the Eater Upsell uh if you like this episode please be sure to pass it on to a friend uh, and and subscribe to the show and rate the show and and email us at upsell at eater.com and uh, stay tuned for next week when we deliver more
1: food stories more food stories food stories. Well, this
2: show is just gonna keep evolving really it's like uh, an amoeba uh, yeah cool cool <laughs> okay <laughs> All
1: right bye.